This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Mount Park. Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wooden! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Savor, production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about Cadbury. Yes, not a sponsor. Nope, nope. Just a very large chocolatier um, <laughs> and et cetera company uh, that, yeah, I mean. so Pretty so, associated with Easter. <laughs> in the United States, certainly. And uh-huh. um, other places, also, but perhaps to a lesser extent, I feel like that is the brand's largest association here in the U.S. Yeah. And as Easter is is coming up as we record this, yeah, I was like, oh, sure. Let's yeah. do this mammoth wild <laughs> outline that I could have kept yeah. reading for, for another two days. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point, Lauren, because I feel like here in the U.S., Cadbury, we we know what it is, and I, I guess I should say I'm speaking from my anecdotal perspective, but mm-hmm. we we know what it is, but it's bigger deal uh-huh. <laughs> in other places. Yes, 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 it a is. much bigger deal than I was anticipating. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, yes, uh, I did write a note in here, my Easter thoughts, all caps. Oh, yeah, because yeah, because I've shared them before. I like Easter. I like Easter egg hunting a lot. Okay. Um, I would say from a very young age, I had my suspicions about the Easter bunny, but <laughs> that's fine. Uh, uh, no, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. I need, I need to, I need to know more about this. Um, specifically, what kind of suspicions? Because when normal people say suspicions about the Easter bunny, I, I assume that they mean that he probably isn't real and that that's your suspicion. Uh-huh. But when Annie Reese says that, I'm like, do you suspect that he's a vampire? Like, do you, <laughs> like, like what kind of? <laughs> I just thought he had something something was amiss about wow. Easter. <laughs> I see. But it was just funny because from very, very young, 
I was all in on like the tooth fairy, like all kinds of things, oh, all okay. these mystical uh-huh. creatures. Mm-hmm. But the Easter bunny from like the get go, I was like, Mm-mm, I don't know. I don't know about this. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I did love the getting of the Easter eggs, which my family was very big in. And they had to institute a rule around me because I was too eager about it. And I would just like run ahead and take all the Easter eggs and no one else would get any. And anyway, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. as I said with Halloween, I'm not the candy is not what I like. I like the competitive getting of things. <laughs> <laughs> I would give away the candy. You can have okay. it. I don't, yeah. I don't care about that part. Wow. So I'm not. Like Cadbury eggs, which is what I associate with Easter. Like the Cadbury cream eggs yeah. specifically? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I I mean, I could probably count on two hands how many times I've had that. Like I would just give it away. I didn't. Wow. It wasn't my huh. thing. Okay. Even though I didn't dislike them. It just was like, I was more about how many eggs point. can yeah. I get? <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. I... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I need y'all to understand that, like, if, if it's not, I think it's coming through on audio, but but Annie's face is very um, intense as oh. she is describing the fervor with which she <laughs> <laughs> yes. hunted down these eggs. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't know um, on kind of the flip side if I ever attended an actual Easter egg hunt kind of situation like an out like a big outdoors one which is i think the kind that you're talking about mm-hmm. um uh i mean like my 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 parents would like hide easter eggs around the house but mm. that was but I, but maybe like a like a dozen or so like it wasn't a really big deal um so so i don't have <laughs> that that experience in my background uh-huh. um and i do love a cadbury cream egg uh they're real weird just that goo is so Mm -hmm. not good but like delightful (laughs) i don't know i can't eat like a whole whole one in one sitting certainly not anymore uh they're way too sugary for me now but uh but no i i'm they're one of the few like holiday candies that i do still have like a ping of nostalgia for when i see Mm. them in a shop like like around this time of year i'm like do i need to buy myself a cadbury egg um for a long time i did See, now I'm wondering, are you talking about like the, because the ones I'm thinking of are like M&M peanut sized. Oh, no. You're talking about the bigger ones. I'm talking about the big ones. Oh, okay. Got you. Okay. Yeah. Because I was like, you can't eat like the M&M peanut sized ones. (laughs) I got you. Either way, do what you need to do. I just (laughs) wanted to clarify. Um, (laughs) Yes. Well. Uh, you can see our chocolate episodes. I think hot chocolate is particularly relevant for this one. Sure. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. We we did talk about Easter eggs. Yeah, we did a whole episode on Easter eggs. Um, we did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But from what I understand, <laughs> we haven't done one on Peeps. I know we've talked about Peeps. Yeah. But I searched it, and I don't think we have done one. I thought we had, but you are correct. We have not. Wow. Well, huh. that's a 
a year from now, <laughs> talking about peeps. I can't wait. Maybe. Oh. I mean, I maybe it's one of those things that I looked into briefly and there wasn't really that much there. And I was kind of like, well, maybe we can do like a it's, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to. I have no idea. Well, I think there's plenty to talk about, especially with the microwaving of the peeps. Oh, my. sure. There's a lot we could dig into. That's for future us, though. Yeah, not a problem for today. No. Uh, the problem we have for today <laughs> brings us to our question, I guess. It does. Yes. Huh. Cadbury. What is it? Well, uh, Cadbury is a brand of mostly chocolate-based candies, confections, and snacks that operates worldwide. Uh Perhaps best known in the United States for their Easter-themed egg-shaped chocolates, their international product lines are wide, um, encompassing solid and filled chocolate bars and bites and hot and cold drink mixes and cookies, snack bars, and snack cakes. They are they are just massive. Um, they have multiple sub-brands. They have a theme park. Um, they are one of the largest chocolate brands in the world. It, it's like... It's like if Willy Wonka were an extra century old and had, like, really sold out. It, it's just for, for, for various communities around the world, Cadbury is a, a daily, familiar, nostalgic comfort food brand. Wow. I hope listeners write in about this because this is not my experience, but mm -hmm. I learned doing this research. It is the experience of a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. Um mm -hmm. Yeah, t today they are owned by um, Mandela's International, which also owns all kinds of other snack and candy and drink brands from like Ritz and Triscuits crackers to Sour Patch Kids and Trident Gum. Perhaps most applicably, they also own Oreo. So you sometimes see co-branding with Cadbury and Oreo. Mm-hmm. And Cadbury's UK lineup is perhaps the widest. Um, it includes, oh, it's a saver list. Um, it includes dairy milk bars, which are your basic chocolate bar in flavors like, I don't know, plain, um, triple chalk, toffee walnut, chopped nut, crunchy bits, Oreo, mint Oreo, chocolate, biscuit and fudge, peanut caramel crisp, and fruit and nut. The fruit and nut being raisin and almond in this case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Then uh, dark milk and white and caramilk bars. Specialty bars like Chomp, Crunchy, Curly Whirly, Double Decker, Flake, Picnic, Twirl, and Wispa. Um, those, I don't know what most of those are. Uh, <laughs> there's the sort of fancier Bourneville line. Um, there are various buttons and bites. There are cocoa and shake mixes. There are boxed chocolates. They have brunch bars, which are granola bars, um, uh, chocolate chip cookies and brownies, sandwich cookies, fingers, which are like chocolate covered rods, sort, sort of like a, like a pocky kind of situation. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, mini donuts and chocolate clusters. Also, um, fries bars, um, chocolate cream, peppermint cream and Turkish delight. Hoofta. <laughs> yes. And I, I think I'm missing a few in there. If I've missed your personal favorite and you are mad, uh, please, please feel free to write in. In the U.S., yeah, it's pretty much just those cream eggs that I mentioned at the top, which are uh, sort of, I don't know, like, like a golf ball sized egg that's filled with uh, like a fondant cream. 
that's colored in white and yellow to look vaguely like an egg yolk. And <laughs> it's one of those things that I feel like the more you describe it, the more completely wild it sounds like like a like an alien, like an absolute movie prop <laughs> from a horror film. Uh-huh. But yeah, those also come in chocolate cream flavors <laughs> and they're <laughs> caramel filled. Uh. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Then there are the mini eggs, which is what you were talking about. These are like milk chocolate, candy coated. Um, there's similar ball-shaped candies themed for fall and Christmas. They now have the Caramello brand under Cadbury um, in the U.S. Uh, we also get a, a small number of dairy milk bars, uh, fruit and nut, roast almond, royal dark, a couple like limited edition sort of things. Australia and India do have slightly wider ranges, but but perhaps mostly also in like holiday themed limited seasonal lines. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I get mm -hmm. the idea that outside of the UK, it's more a holiday based brand. Um, yeah. But, uh, but, but y'all, y'all write in, write in and let us know. Yes. Mm -hmm. Please. Mm -hmm. Please, please, please. Well, what about the nutrition? Don't, eat brands mm. yeah i mean this is like again insert random horror yeah. idea here but this is you know halloween three you're watching the commercial yeah the yeah. song is stuck in your head uh -huh. the mask is on your face and you melt into a pile of bugs and if you haven't seen that movie well i recommend you check it out <laughs> like like the cadbury cream egg it um it doesn't make a lot of sense and yet it, it and, and certainly you know it's bad for you but like but it's still really pleasurable in a certain way it is it is <laughs> um well <laughs> we do have some numbers for you oh heck we do okay so cadbury has manufacturing plants in at least 10 countries its products are available in at least 40 countries the top three markets are the uk australia and india in india the sub brand dairy milk alone holds over 40 percent of the chocolate market wow yeah mm -hmm. uh Cadbury worldwide was making about $3.9 billion in net revenue a year as of 2018. And uh, and that number seems to be have have been going up. Uh, they were making about $5.7 billion as of 2022. Whew. Yeah. Whew, I yeah. See. <laughs> yeah. Mon Mondelez is the like either second or third largest chocolate producing company in the world, uh, right up there with a Ferrero group and Mars Wrigley. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There. Okay. This, this is a, this is a fun one. Um, there is a Madbury Cadbury competition. I think once a year, I think only in India. I couldn't track down information about this happening in other places, but that doesn't mean it doesn't. Y'all let me know. But OK, um, th this competition lets lets participants choose from thousands of ingredients to make a unique new dairy milk bar flavor. Um, I, I read that there are 90,000 potential combinations, but I didn't <laughs> check their math. Um, I think this competition started in 2019. And there was an ad campaign for it for which they rewrote modern major general like from pirates of penzance <laughs> like like uh -huh. yeah yeah they recorded it with an 18 dude choir uh as it should yeah obviously yeah 
It's <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh-huh. Yeah. It sounds excellent. And I am I'm not going to I'm not going to sing it for you today. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't think so. Uh, we'll see. Well, we'll see by the end of the episode. Maybe I'll come around. Okay. okay. Uh, <laughs> we do have some world records. Uh, Cadbury, Nigeria, produced a 30-meter-tall inflatable made to look like a jar of Born Vita drink mix, which is a brand of, of drink mix. Um, uh, so that snagged a record for being the, the world's largest inflatable jar. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> also, the Guinness record for the most Cadbury cream eggs eaten in one minute it was set in 2014. It's held by a fellow from Canada, and he consumed six in a minute. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, congrats. Yeah. Also. Con- yeah. Congrats to that guy. I'm pretty sure that that made me say out loud, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. 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 Well, here's a fact that made me gasp audibly. <laughs> When I was doing the research, Cadbury has a theme park. Yeah. And it's called Cadbury World. And it has rides. It has a Madame Tussauds wax museum. And it gets about 500,000 visitors a year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, they have a museum with nearly 2,000 bits of Cadbury memorabilia, um, including packaging and marketing items dating back to the 1890s. You can go with your school. Um, they offer a bunch of different educational programs, including a science talk for Key Stage 4 students, which is like huh. ages uh, 14 to 16. Um, and you can have afternoon tea with Cadbury characters. Cadbury has characters um, like the Caramel Bunny and Freddo the Frog um, and Mr. Cadbury's Parrot. Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because, of course, I looked up the menu. <laughs> Yeah, um, <laughs> you've got to. Okay. <laughs> For kids, the menu is finger sandwiches um, uh, with ham or cheese or jam, um, plus potato crisps, mini cakes, and fruit skewers, um, and a choice of hot chocolate or juice. For adults, the menu includes uh, uh, finger sandwiches um, like salmon and cream cheese, ham and mustard, and cheese and pickle, plus cakes, scones, macarons, and a choice of hot chocolate, coffee, or an assortment of tea. Well, it sounds lovely. You know? I I have to say, having no nostalgia for any of these characters, they look terrifying to me. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to look them up then. Uh, oh, I can't wait. It feels very Silent Hill 3 to me personally. Oh, um, old Robbie the Rabbit. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But, I mean, but not covered in blood. I mean, they're, you know... <laughs> Perhaps clearly. covered in caramel. Yeah, just covered co- in raspberry just, just sauce. Covered in caramel. Oh, no. oh dear. <laughs> okay. Well, I cannot wait to look that up then. Um, <laughs> I love how it's like you and I are on such a track that we take it Silent Hill three. Yeah, that. <laughs> that's just where we're going to it's go with it. Very specific, but there we there we are. There we are. There we are. Robbie the rabbit. If you know, you know. Um, <laughs> well, we do have quite the history for you. We do. Uh, but first, we have a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Hey, 
Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, Sonser. Yes, thank you. So yes, as we mentioned at the top of the episode, uh, go check out the episodes we've done on chocolate particularly hot chocolate, perhaps. Uh Um, Very relevant to this. So (laughs) the history of the Cadbury company goes back to the early 1800s, back when manufacturers, especially in Europe, still weren't entirely sure what to do with cacao from South America, which is what we talked about in that hot chocolate episode specifically. Uh Um, Because generally speaking at that time, it was used to make sort of a bitter, sort of oily health drink at least in europe it was kind of promoted or touted as a health drink Mm -hmm. um mostly because that's all people knew how to do with it we really didn't have the technology to do anything else with it at that point um so with that health aspect in mind the cadbury family who were quakers attempted to use this basis of cacao to make a nutritious alternative to alcohol Yes. Um, So their product was part of something that family member Deborah Cadbury would later go on to call Quaker capitalism. She wrote this whole book about Mm -hmm. Cadbury and their origins of it. And I used a lot of that in here. So keep that in mind. Um, Yeah. And uh, Quaker capitalism is a a whole whole thing. Yes. Uh, We'll we'll get into it a little bit. But uh, but please continue. Yes. 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 Um, According to her, Quaker capitalism, which we will be talking about throughout this, was 
it basically meant like putting the idea of helping people first mm-hmm. and profits second. Um, it also meant things that to me read like, of course, but yeah, definitely at the time were not a given. Mm-hmm. But things like Saturdays off, pensions, benefits, uh, free visits to things like doctors, which you know, still is not a thing for a lot mm-hmm. of those, but. Yeah. Um, Eventually, again, according to Cadbury, they wanted to extend all of these things to the community at large, the community that was working with them, which manifested in so-called Quaker utopia towns. And one of the earliest of these model villages was Bourneville, Mm -hmm. uh, located just south of Birmingham in England. And it was first set up in 1893. So that's where, like, their original headquarters is. Um, But... Let's unpack that a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, So Cadbury details, as I said, the origin story in her book. And as she tells it, in the late 18th century, one of her ancestors, who was named Richard Tapper Cadbury, an English draper, uh, sent his youngest son, John, to study a new arrival in Europe that was causing a lot of conversation. Cacao. Um, Yeah. So they were like, oh, what can we do with this? Mm -hmm. And of note, they were a wealthy Quaker family. Um, so Richard believed that cacao could be the solution to, to those who indulged in things like gin, like an alternative to alcohol, and that it could be used to make this nutritious, non-alcoholic beverage that could just like, going back to that Quaker capitalism where it would really solve a problem and yeah, it would be an, this healthy thing. An improvement in people's lives. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so In 1824, John opened a small shop selling drinking chocolate and cacao, just in general. In 1831, he decided to focus more on the manufacturing of these things um, and kind of made a small factory to to do that. Um, Okay, here's another thing I didn't know. (laughs) Hmm. I didn't know, but in 1854, Cadbury received a royal warrant to be the official manufacturers of chocolate and cocoa for Queen Victoria. Yeah, the the royal warrant system is a whole thing um, yeah. that we could get into. I, I we're mentioning it like one other time, but uh, but I think yeah, that that's for another day. Basically, yes. yeah, like like you get to uh, put the royal seal on your packaging, um, and uh, it's 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 really great marketing. Uh, or not, <laughs> depending on how much people like the ruling monarch. I don't know. Also true. <laughs> also true. Yes. Um, all right. So when John's health was struggling, his sons George and Richard took the chocolate business over. And they really flipped it into a success with milestones like purchasing a Dutch cocoa press which we've talked about, mm-hmm. um, and launching what they called Cocoa Essence in 1866. This is like around the time they were doing chocolate solids that you could buy with spices in them for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yes, and they did all of this while taking on local chocolate competitors, including and perhaps especially local Quaker competitors that ah. were also in the chocolate business. So okay. Deborah Cadbury's book is... It focuses a lot on this is what the chocolate wars, as they're called, (laughs) as she called them. Um, And, yeah, it did matter because there is a whole set of business ethics associated with Quaker capitalism. um, And this is a whole practice that has been in place since the Civil War. 
These uh, ethics have been voted on regularly since, and it has a lot to do with wealth creation. Again, that's a different podcast, but it is related to what we're talking about. Um, The idea was that wealth creation shouldn't be for profit, but for the good of the workers, as we said. Um, Reckless debt was viewed as shameful. Advertising was also viewed as shameful. Yes. Um, But uh, the 20th century saw the beginning of these chocolate wars, as Deborah Cabaret called them, um, that eroded Quaker capitalism in in this realm, at least. Um, And this was in part due to increasing globalism and international competitors, increasing trade, improving technology, new players in the fields. And it did lead to a lot of these Quaker capitalists either going out of business or adapting their form of capitalism without the Quaker part as much. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And a piece of this whole thing was the passing of these businesses from their Puritan owners to public shareholders. It's, you never know where the research will take you once again. (laughs) Like, wow, okay. (laughs) I did not know we would be talking about Quaker capitalism in here. Nope. Um, Yes, well, we are. (laughs) In 1905, Cadbury released their Cadbury Dairy Milk. Mm -hmm. Um, They first used their trademark shade of purple in 1914. And I'm not being figurative about that trademark. Mm -hmm. More on that later. More on that later. And in 1915, they released their Milk Tray line of box chocolates. And... I got kind of confused by this, but some sources also suggest that they were behind the first heart-shaped boxes, um, like Valentine's Day heart-shaped boxes, mm-hmm. uh, that were first introduced in the 1860s from what I read. And according to what I read, the company wanted to use up any leftover cocoa butter from their other products. And they leaned into the idea of shareable products they could market as romantic Um, And the boxes featured all kinds of imagery that we associate with Valentine's Day today, like flowers and Cupid. That seems pretty early to me, but that's what the sources say. All Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, speaking of holidays, the Cadbury cream egg. Uh, All right. So the company was not the first to manufacture chocolate Easter eggs. Uh, These chocolate Easter eggs started appearing in Germany and or France. At the start of the 19th century, um, J.S. Fry and Sons Limited, which was a major competitor, <laughs> which was a major competitor of Cadbury, excuse uh-huh. me, um, and another Quaker capitalist company, uh, they were the first to offer a mass-produced option in 1873, but Cadbury began making their own version soon after in 1875, and theirs came with this colorful foil wrapping. That really set it apart. Ah. Um, yes. So they became the preferred chocolate egg for Easter. And a lot of people think it's because of that colorful wrapping. So there you go. Marketing. It matters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is one of those things I read in a bunch of places. And I was kind of like, huh. Because I've never experienced a Cadbury flake bar. But <laughs> Cadbury flake bars were allegedly invented via manufacturing accident. In 1920. Uh, There you go. Yeah, just kind of... It's interesting looking. I would love to hear more about it from people who've had it. (laughs) What what, what is it? What does it describe? uh, Describe what... I don't know. I don't know what this is. 
It kind of looks like, to me, like a Butterfinger, but without the, like, it's like the middle part of the Butterfinger is just chocolate. Okay. It's like flakes of chocolate that almost look like chips. I don't know. It's hard to describe. I've never seen it. But like I said, it came up in a lot of the research, and I guess it's very popular. <laughs> Probably making people angry as they're listening to this. <laughs> um, yes, that's not quite what we strive for, but we do love hearing strong opinions. So yes. please write in. Um, <laughs> all right. So Cadbury merged with J.S. Fry and Sons to compete with Roundtree, another Quaker capitalist business in the chocolate industry in 1919. Yeah, and Cadbury and Fry were a powerhouse. Like, by 1930, they were not merely Britain's largest candy maker. Um, They were also the 24th biggest company in the country by stock market value. By 1935, they they were the 29th largest employer in the country. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Um. In 1923, they released the first cream-filled chocolate eggs. Okay. Yes. They opened their first overseas company in Tasmania, Australia in 1921, and then another in New Zealand in 1930. Allegedly, Cadbury in part inspired Charlie and the Chocolate Factory because they would send samples for kids to try at author Roald Dahl's school. In 1929. The brand launched in India in 1948, though I don't think it really got big there until like new advertising pushes happened in the 1990s and early 2000s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And speaking of advertising pushes, um, with more widespread access to televisions for the general population, Cadbury started advertising on TV in the mid 1950s. In 1955, Queen Elizabeth II granted Cadbury her own royal warrant. Um, like It was like one of the first that she granted. So it's <laughs> one of the ones that was, was held for the longest. Um, after her recent death, though, it is unclear whether Charles is going to renew it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. In 63, they released the style of cream egg that we know and some of us love, uh, contentiously <laughs> love today. Um, it was under the Fry's brand originally, but then would be rebranded to Cadbury in 1971. Fredo the Frog, <laughs> meanwhile, was first created in Australia back in the 1930s by a rival brand. Um, but the brand was bought out by Cadbury in 1967. So this is this is not a Fredo the Frog episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Uh, just know. wanted to put that in there. Yeah. I, of course. It's important. I can't wait to look this up. You know what else this reminds me of? Five Nights at Freddy's. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. my. Oh, my. Oh, my. Mm-hmm. Um, well, <laughs> Cadbury merged with Schweppes. Yes, that one. In 1969, they would demerge in 2008. Uh, in the 1990s, I have to mention this, uh, the <laughs> company released the Spice Girls Dairy Milk Bar the packaging is glorious. You have to look it up. That's it. Okay. No, no All right. questions asked. Sure. Um, but this brings <laughs> us to a lot of legal stuff. Not Ooh. about the Spice Girls. No. <laughs> but <laughs> No, not today. <laughs> um, no. All right. So Lauren mentioned this color purple earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2004, Cadbury attempted to trademark 
this purple color uh, that they had been using with their advertising. They said that they used it to honor Queen Victoria, that they've been using it for almost two centuries. Nestle, yes, that one, uh, countered them, arguing it would qualify as, quote, commercial advantage. Okay. Yeah. And the ensuing legal battle lasted for four years uh, when the judge eventually sided with Cadbury, but Nestle was not done and brought the whole thing back to the Court of Appeal and won on what sounded to me like a technicality. They were kind of like you didn't fill out the form correctly. <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> this this would wind up going back and forth through various courts of appeals um, until 2022. Wow. Um, <laughs> and honestly, I don't understand enough about trademark law to explain it properly. But in the end, yes, Cadbury was allowed to trademark this particular shade of purple using particular language. Um, the, the exact shade of purple is a Pantone 2685C, in case that means anything to anyone. Um, and according to some law blogs that I read, um, the ruling has brought clarity to UK color trademark law. So... Wow. Thanks, Cadbury's and Nestle, for fighting it out. <laughs> UK color trademark law. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, um, other legal things. In 2009, Kraft Foods launched a very fraught and very public effort to purchase Cadbury. Um, and there was a bidding war with Hershey. It was not pretty. Mm-hmm. And Cadbury was purchased for less than what they asked for, though it was still $19 billion. Um, Okay. Yeah. But many viewed it as the loss of the last independent British chocolate company. Yeah. Kraft didn't really help the situation because they, like, immediately made some really controversial decisions, like like the closing one of the long-running factories in England to move work overseas. So... Right. And the public pushback in Britain was so strong that lawmakers introduced new laws to prevent the foreign takeover of local businesses. I think Ooh. some of them were dubbed like the Cadbury law or like just like popularly calling it. Yeah, that. yeah. sure. <laughs> sure. Um, interestingly, um, the purchase did lead to the to the merging of like all craft confectionery research into the Cadbury Science Center in Reading. <laughs> yeah. Um, from which uh, was born in 2011 um, a, a patent for temperature-resistant chocolate, uh, which can stay solid in conditions up to 104 degrees Fahrenheit. Oof. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. In 2012, uh, Cadbury was the official treat provider to the London Olympics. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. And and that same year, the um the the international snack and confection side of of craft split off to become Mondelez International, um, of which Cadbury is a subsidiary. Um here in the United States, though, Cadbury is licensed through Hershey's. Oof. Yeah. Oof. 
<laughs> I, when you pitched this idea, you did tell me there's going to be a lot of legal drama. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, these 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 business episodes are always really fascinating in a, in a way that is completely opposite of the type of fascinating that, that I think most most of our episodes are. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, hold I on, let me get through some dry legalese now. But yes. oh, but still, like, there's drama. It's great. Yes. It's great. I mean, <laughs> trademarking a color of purple—that's amazing. <laughs> oh my gosh. And right in an 18-year battle to do so. Yes. What? <laughs> I mean, wow. I mean, it's a nice—it's a nice shade of purple. It is. It is. I really like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, well. Well, indeed. All right. Uh, Annie is saying that because I have pasted in the lyrics to this Modern Major General uh, uh, rewrite for the commercial. Mm-hmm. So, all right, let's let's see how far I get. Okay. Let's add a little basil, apple, coconut, and licorice. We're mixing, rolling, poking, slopping, dipping, giving it a squish. Take handfuls, pinches, dollops, glops, and glugs and throw them in the dish. From cinnamon to tarragon and almost anything you wish. Gummies, berries, lemongrass, or even something spicy-ish. A chocolate concoction that we all agree is quite delish. Now each and every person nationwide is going Madbury. Let's ponder and invent a scrumptious dairy milk for Cadbury. Woo! Yay! <laughs> Collapse and snaps Oofta. for you. <laughs> that was amazing. Well, well, thank you, thank you for sharing um, that with us. <laughs> you're welcome. Mm-hmm. And I'm yes. sorry. Uh, no. Well, there we go. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, that was a whole thing that happened. It keeps going. The song continues to go. I am not an 18 dude choir, so uh, so I'm not. <laughs> And I'm honestly really shaky on on the actual melody of that song, as it turns out. Um, but <laughs> but that is what we have to say about the Cadbury Company for now. For now. Mm-hmm. But uh, we do have some listener mail for you. But first, we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. 
oldest girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by oldest girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, Spencer. Yes, thank you. And we're back with... (laughs) Easter Bunny. That fiend! Um... Were you concerned that he was going to take the eggs back? Like what? I thought it was all a big trick. It was some kind of... He was messing with my mind in some way. Were you upset that the bunny was laying eggs? Uh, That did confuse me. Okay. That did confuse me. Okay. But I was more like, he shows up, he leaves these eggs about, and I'm not sure why. No. I got to go find him. Open them up. It felt kind of like when you like, like in D and D, where like, ooh, gold. But you gotta question why. Why it's there? Yeah. There's gonna huh. be some kind of negative effect if you just take that gold. <laughs> okay, but you weren't worried about this with like Santa or the Tooth Fairy. No, it was okay. specifically the Easter Bunny. <laughs> All right. No, cool. Yeah, that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You know, <laughs> something to examine later about my mind, my processes. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that that is certainly something that I I cannot currently unpack for you. So <laughs> I understand. Yeah. I've been I mean, clearly I'm still thinking about it because it's yeah. in all caps at the top of our outline. Yeah. Um well, I'll deal with that later. <laughs> in the meantime, Arik wrote, hmm. uh, who has been binging, yeah. um, finally caught up. Uh, looking back, the joy of cooking made me think about cookbooks that are common. I've never had that, but I've had a better homes and gardens for almost 30 years. Really well worn. I have a feeling if you went through the U.S. and looked, if someone doesn't have joy of cooking, they probably have the better homes and gardens. Mm-hmm. Cookbooks in general are just so interesting. My youngest got me a copy of I Dream of Dinner So You Don't Have To for Christmas, and it sounds kind of like The Joy of Cooking. It has a lot of stories around things. It does take some getting used to. While it has a list of ingredients to the side, it does not have the amounts. This forces you to read through the instructions to get the amounts. In a way, this is a good thing, as you have to read the whole thing. Uh Um, Cookbooks in general could be a whole series. There are so many cookbooks out there that people love. 
we have a beat up copy of the Super Steeler cookbook that we use as well. On a different note, I'd love to see a combination show at some point with one of the ridiculous shows. I can only imagine how much fun that would be. Might as well also loop in the stuff they don't want you to know, folks, as well, since it is only one more. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I... I've been I've been on Ridiculous History a couple of times talking. I think I talked about butter in the early days. Like I dropped yeah. some butter facts and then kind <laughs> of, of vanished. I, I think feel like you did Nestle, didn't you do? Oh, um, over on stuff they don't want you to know. Yeah, I, I talked about um, bottled water mm-hmm. um, and uh, and also about diamonds, which are two things that make me very angry. So. <laughs> yeah. So that was yeah. fun. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I've been on. I think I've been on Ridiculous History twice, and and stuff they don't want you to know once. But I, I mean, yeah, Ben Bolin, of course, loves talking about food. He's constantly giving us <laughs> ideas, so yeah. he would be one hundred percent down. <laughs> I'm down. There's a lot of conspiracies around food, sugar. I'm looking at you. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I've pitched to them an episode about uh about the Miracle Berry drama yeah. that happened mm-hmm. and like Big Sugar and how like maybe that guy almost got assassinated by Big Sugar for yeah. producing a product that um can make tart things taste sweet without mm-hmm. sugar. Yep. I mean, we're here. They know where to find us. <laughs> We know where to find them, you know? <laughs> I mean, do we? Do That's true. <laughs> Here's where it gets crazy. Um, and also, yes, as we've been talking about in a lot of past previous episodes, I think you're right. I mean, we could do a whole mini series on cookbooks. But oh, I do sure. love these kind of like, if you go to every other house, there will be one of this or one of this or mm-hmm. both of this. And, and your kind of church cookbooks or your local community cookbooks. Yeah, totally. Um, I, I do I, I do have a number of Better Homes and Gardens cookbooks in my personal collection. Uh, yes. So some of them are just so, um, especially the, the like yearly ones that they were putting out for a while. I don't know if they still do or not, but they're just such a specific moment in time. And I really love food photography from cookbooks because, oh, it's, it is stylistically telling about what was going on at the time. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. yes. In addition to the recipes <laughs> that they choose to feature, it's like, wow, that that is not something that we would print a photo of these days. Certainly not in <laughs> that sepia tone, but okay. <laughs> They are. They're a, a snapshot, as we said, yeah. of what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, Zach wrote, I was so excited to hear your episode about Brunost, as it reminded me of one of my favorite memories about my dad. He was in the National Guard, and in the early 90s, he spent some time stationed in Norway working with NATO at the Norway-Russia border. For a long time, I thought the only souvenirs he'd brought back were a reindeer skin and a couple of troll statues. Uh, My dad also has an incurable sweet tooth and consistent midnight cravings. One night when I was in my teens, I woke up to the sound of him digging around in the kitchen. Imagine my surprise when I found my dad squirting Hershey's chocolate syrup into a bowl of freshly grated Kraft cheddar cheese. He told me that he woke up craving a cheese he'd had decades ago in Norway, and this was the closest he could come up with to simulate it. He called it a yetost. Yetost? 
I think, uh, which I would later come to learn is the goat milk variety of Brunost. Uh, after I went to college in a larger town, I was able to find Ski Queen Brunost at a uh, Kroger cheese counter, and my dad has had a block of Brunost on hand ever since. As for the chocolate cheese concoction, as bad as it sounds, I'll just say don't knock it till you try it. Oh, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> you won't knock it or you won't try it <laughs> i won't knock it I, I i bet i can see it working i used to make a kind of uh again it sounds like something that wouldn't work but i would make like this grilled cheese that had brie and chocolate in it and it was really good Ooh, um, okay so yeah. no I, i'm into it oh yeah uh, yeah no i'll 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 try pretty much anything yeah <laughs> me too me too i and it, this was lovely um yes. lovely memories I I looked for Brunost last time I was at the grocery store. Oh, yeah. I didn't see it, but mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. I feel like because I, I have recently been on a really big Indian food kick. I think I mentioned that recently. And I I've been looking for paneer for forever and it was right in front of my eyes the whole time. So sometimes <laughs> I think you just need to see like the packaging of the cheese. So maybe I'll look up like some of the big brands and then I'll have an image in my head. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm on the look. I'm I... on the lookout. I feel like, yeah, it might not be in like in like common like American branded grocery stores, but it might show up in more like a like an Aldi situation or maybe like mm-hmm. a Whole Foods situation, like something with like a, a slightly more international cheese counter. OK. All right. I think I can make this happen. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you do. I, do. I I Oh, yeah. I'm sure that I will. I'm sure that I will. Um, but yes, in the meantime, thank you, thank you, thank you uh, to these listeners for writing in. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We are also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod. And we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. 
Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.